0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org/events.
1: From WBEZ Chicago, I am Greta Johnson, and this is Power Up, a project from NerdApp Podcast. Life these days can be hectic. In a world that seems faster and louder and busier than ever, it is real tricky business to find time for yourself. So we want to know, how do people set themselves up for success in an exhausting world? We've been asking you how you power up and some of your obstacles when it comes to taking care of yourself. Here is what one listener named Selena has to say. I just can't seem to find the time or energy to do all the things that I want to do. It would be great if you could find someone in any field who has a full-time job, a side hustle or passion project, and a family. I would especially love to hear from a mother like me. So Selena's asking a really good question here. It's really interesting to think about how a full-time working mother can figure out that balance. So we racked our brains and we came up with the perfect person. It's All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Audie Cornish.
2: We start this hour with President Obama's
1: push. That is, Asia as to you well know, NPR's Audie Cornish. She hosts All Things Considered. This is a daily national news show. And Audie is a new mom. She has a son who's about 10 months old. Adi says figuring out how to be a mom with a full-time job is still a work in progress for her. She was able to take six months off before getting back to work, which is a privilege that she is well aware of.
2: Oh, yeah, because I didn't grow up that way. I mean, my parents, my mom had her kids and would quit work altogether altogether. And then she would have to get back into the workforce, and when she did, we they always struggled with childcare. And I was the oldest of three, and so sometimes that childcare was me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom said to me, she was like, "No, you have reached this point in your career. Take the time, and then after you take the time, get help." You know, I think that there wasn't this sense of she was definitely like, "Don't be a martyr," and. Um, Recently, I had posted this picture on Facebook for take your on Twitter for Mm -hmm. take your child to work day with my baby looking adorable. And I'm very well dressed. And you're like And I'm at holding my holding them up in
1: the air. Holding them up in
2: beautiful, the air. Because yeah. I'm a goddess. Right. You know. Yeah, you are. I'm like totally killing it at momming. <laughs> obvious. <laughs> Just Obs, hanging out at the worst. As, as the, the babe. kids say. huh And I realize, like, oh God, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> because there is absolutely nothing worse than opening up a glossy magazine and seeing a picture of some woman with like a pet and a three year old and everyone's groomed <laughs> to the nines and she's like, I woke up like this. And that's insane of course you did not of course you have help paid help and support but it's very embarrassing to say that out loud some of that is about how we feel politically right now about um, people who are wealthy and the elite so to speak right mm-hmm. um, and but some of that has to do I think with shaming women about getting help <laughs> you know you are supposed to be able to do all all, like all Yeah, of what's the things. wrong with you that you can't? And what's wrong with you if you can't? Yeah. Even though we all know as ladies, we are looking at that photo ourselves and being like, there's Mm-mm. no <laughs> way she, right? Like, we're all just like tut-tutting, like, there's no way she did all of those things by herself. And so, yeah, I had to, I totally had to kind of repost and say, oh, by the way, like, The nanny took this picture. And by the way, I share that nanny with a a co-worker who also has a baby. And by the way, like our husband's work and that goes into paying that person. And, you know, by the way, like there are many people along who are helping me in my my life to make all of this happen because you cannot do it by yourself.
1: So you took the six months off. What was it like when you got back to work?
2: I mean, it's hard and it's still hard. Um, You know, I this baby is up at like five or six in the morning. And my old routine used to be like, get up super early, read for a long time, then get dressed and like go to the gym and then go to the office and like sit down in this meeting. I've already been up for like four or five hours and then go through the day and do interviews and be so prepared and then get home and help with dinner and blah, blah, blah. It was like there was a lot of me time there that I took advantage of. And now, like, that's his time. And I want it to be because sometimes I get home so late, given the news cycle, I miss his bedtime. And by sometimes, I mean almost every night of the week. And so I will have these weeks where I think, oh, my God, I saw my kid for six or seven hours during the weekday.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's it's really difficult. Uh, and, then, and then I have days, you know, like this week I had a day where I had six or seven interviews in the show and, you know, I was wearing nice heels and I was like, you can't stop me. Look at me doing this job. <laughs> like, <laughs> Look at all the work I'm doing. I'm killing it. Um, so it's very up and down. I feel like you're going to want some, like, tips or something. And I've given horrendous advice, <laughs> right, so far. Because basically, if you can't afford help, you're like, this doesn't help me. Um, and I've been there. I've been that person that's just like, this is advice I cannot use. Um, but I do think that it is on all of us to be honest about what's involved in in parenting and what's involved in balancing um, work, especially work that takes many, many, many hours in a week,
1: for sure, so are you able to prioritize yourself at all this point like ever right now well i
2: mean i I feel like I did by getting help, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I could have said like no i'll i 'll do this and uh every night after the show, I will somehow you know, leave immediately after, like be home for his bedtime and there'll never be traffic and somehow that'll work like of course. I mean, would I like to pack a lunch every day? Yeah. Um would I like to eat breakfast every day? That would be nice. Um when I would I like to exercise and be back at the gym? Sure. Since they're still deducting money from my credit card I would. <laughs> um but I'm not there yet, you
1: know, and, and that's okay. So, yeah, what are you telling yourself in order to be okay with that? Are you just like, eventually it'll come together and it's not now and that's that's fine?
2: What am I telling myself? I mean, recently I've been preaching forgiveness, like forgiveness of self. Basically, like, that. that's okay. You know, I have to say that to myself a couple times a day. Like, that's okay. You know, like... Your kid, you're gonna see your kid on Facetime, and instead of being like, "He shouldn't be in front of screens," (laughs) you need to think, (laughs) "Thank God, (laughs) my child gets to see me in some capacity today. Um, That that's okay. Forgive yourself. Um, Sometimes it means that you, like, are you know, just eating at your desk and spill something on yourself, and that's okay." Uh, I think that for someone like me who is very much, let's say, an A student, you know, I really, really like to be prepared. I had to really forgive myself um, and say that, like, it's going to be fine. The show is still going to get on air. Um, If it's bad, you'll surely hear from listeners.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they will let you know.
2: And then you'll get up and have to do it again. You know, that that's one thing about my work is, like, I, I got to put that show on every single day. And you really can't sit around lamenting the strikeouts. You know, sometimes you have to be excited about base hits. Sometimes it's just like, OK, it's a wash and we're just going to come back tomorrow. And frankly, sometimes all of that is a blessing.
1: After the break, I ask Audie about those moments in her career where she thought, you know, maybe this job isn't for me.
2: Oh, you mean yesterday? (laughs) Interesting. Good
1: question. (laughs) You're listening to Power Up.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen
1: What's it like to cover the really horrible stuff, things like school shootings or terrorism? Like, how do you prepare for interviews and talk to people affected by stuff like this and go home not being just, like, completely devastated?
2: Huh. Um, I would say that in the moment when it is happening, and, and I've covered these from what I would call... um kind of close up, medium and and long view, mm-hmm. right? Like I have actually had to show up at a place while something is sort of ongoing and everyone's figuring out what's happening. So the 911 dispatcher rode out Hurricane Katrina at work in Plaquemines Parish. But the most and I've had to come in a few days after and cover a bunch of funerals and interview people in a community that are exhausted from the media. It's it's there. Constantly, And he's been particularly touched by the deaths at Sago Mine, where many of the coal workers who perished were nearing his age. And I've also been the anchor in the studio when something is happening and you're live saying to the country, this thing is happening. <laughs> um, and you're interviewing people, but you're you're at a distance, right? A ...shooter at the Silicon Valley headquarters of YouTube. It's a developing story and we're still gathering more information. One of the NPR reporters covering this is Nick Rock. None of it is easy. Uh, and none of it is comfortable. In the moment, though, you are just so focused on helping, uh, on gathering the information, and saying what's happening. And it often doesn't hit you for a day or two. I've had that experience where it's not—it's not day one, it's not day two, it's like day six, you know. And I'll read one small detail, um, you know, about a text message someone sent to their loved one before Um, they were murdered or uh, see a photograph or, you know, often things related to children. I think even before then I felt this way. Um, Those are the things that will get me and get me later. And I don't feel comfortable. And I've talked about this in the past and, and people always kind of give me a hard time about it. I don't feel comfortable showing a whole bunch of emotion in the moment and while I'm reporting. I just don't think that's... Necessary, and I don't think that's all that helpful to any of the people involved. Mm-hmm. But you do want to show empathy when you are speaking with someone, and they have witnessed something awful, um, because you're not just trying to like yank this information out of them, right? You're you're becoming part of the the ritual retelling, right. like in any culture of saying like, okay, here's what happened, and if we talk about what happened, then maybe we can talk about um, how to prevent it from happening again. Um, But I think that it's become harder for me over the years to bounce back, if that makes sense. I think I'm in my 20s, and when I think back to covering 9-11, I could just go weeks and weeks on end. It was the same thing after Katrina. I could just do weeks and weeks and weeks, and then I'd feel it, like, months later. And now I'm much more inclined to let myself feel it a few days later and to just, like, experience that pain or experience that kind of vicarious heartache and and then— Take a deep breath and think about how to add to the conversation.
1: Wow, that phrase, vicarious heartache, is real. Yeah, but it's not
2: like... It's not me putting myself at the center of it, if that right, makes sense. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. I think there is an inclination to be like, well, I covered that thing and therefore I feel. And that's not it. But journalists do. I mean, it's very much documented. And, you know, for, obviously first responders have this as well. But when you're up close with a lot of this kind of like imagery and hearing people's voices, um, I remember covering um, the aftermath of Katrina for many months. And you were just in a a dark place with people whose homes had been destroyed and the cameras had gone, and they were left with the work of dealing with insurance adjusters and the power people and um, physically. It's one thing to say I'm going to clean my house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's another thing to lift every piece of waterlogged furniture out of it with your bare hands because there's no one else to come and help. Um, and a lot of those people, I remember thinking, I'm not going to speak to anyone who is not crying. Oof. This is my gig right now. you know. And I felt like a vulture. It was awful.
1: Do you think... It's even harder to bounce back now, now that you're a mom? Um,
2: I'm about to find out. You know, I think that it does affect, it certainly affects how I look at certain stories that I think in the past I I just, I didn't get it. You know, like it's very hard for me now to read a story about child abuse not because I'm like, those people were evil, like, I can't believe this, but it's because, like, I can hear my child cough two rooms away, and I want to be like, what was that cough? Oh, Are you okay? Oh, yeah. my God, like, I'm going to kiss your face. Like, I'm so – it's very hard for me to yeah. under – like, I, I'm i – it comes now from a place of, like like, raw confusion – about how you walk away from your child or how you hurt your child. Uh, But I think that now I think about all those things differently. I'd be lying if I said I didn't.
1: Are there stories, too, I think especially in terms of things like, I don't know, maybe international relations or the economy or like climate change, where, you know, the impact isn't right this second. It's more of a long-term concept And for me, not having kids, I maybe am less impacted by stories like that than someone who all of a sudden is much more invested in what the world looks like 20 or 50 or 100 years from now.
2: Yes, I think that's true. I mean, uh, it's no more easier for me than you to think about what happens with the polar ice caps, let's say. But I do certainly think about um, certainly politics. Right. Like my child was born around the same time as the um, uh, neo-nationalist white supremacist march uh, in Charlottesville. And my child is biracial. And, you know, you you have that kind of moment where I'm like in the hospital with a new baby in my arms, like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> like, this doesn't seem like it's on the the up and up. We're not on the mend. Um that kind of stuff does uh yeah it's hard to to wrap your mind around what kind of future they're walking into so there's always something difficult in the world there's always something that's going to make you question Like, uh, do I bring children into this world? But we all do. We keep doing it, you know. (laughs) I feel like I should say something here like ellipses, something, something, enduring human spirit. You Uh know, like there's like movies about this. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm one of the fools.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My parents described having children as a leap of faith. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But it's so worth it. You know, I've definitely become one of those people that's like, it's, a, of course, because I look at him as being somebody who's going to be a part of, of shaping his own world, you know, not that he's arriving a victim of it.
1: Well, Audie Cornish, thank you so much for taking the time. It was really fun to talk with you. Oh, is that all? That's it. I was
2: like, I was enjoying this therapy. I'm like, what do I do? I sound so mentally stable. I mean, this conversation. I don't
1: know. I think there's something about the idea of a work in progress that's really important to talk about, you know?
2: Yeah, that, I guess if that's the only thing that I leave everybody with is that, yeah, talk to me in six months, you know, <laughs> talk to me in a year, like I'll have a completely different, um, maybe point of view, or maybe I'll at least be going back to the gym. <laughs> um, but, but right now, you know, TBD.
1: We also want to hear what you have to say. Tell us how you power up, record a hot tip on your phone, or send us a question you might have about how you could be taking care of yourself better. Email the audio file to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. That is exactly what Amanda in Bloomington, Indiana did.
0: What I do to power up normally is my creative practice, drawing and painting. But when I need to recharge to be able to do that... Uh, One new discovery I have made this year is skating with the Bleeding Heartland Roller Derby, Uh, a group of amazing, strong, and supportive women who are all into doing roller derby and themselves, largely a bunch of nerds. So it's great.
1: (laughs) That was adorable. I like the awkward hang up. Thank you, Amanda. Roller Derby sounds awesome. Tell us how you power up. Maybe like when I was in grad school, you iron your sheets like a crazy person or maybe you like to make Fig Newtons from scratch for some horrible reason. Whatever it is, we would love to hear it. That email again is nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by myself, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our coach is Trisha Bobita. If you are wondering about Trisha, she is recharging her batteries herself right now. How is she powering up? This weekend's been a bit of a doozy. Definitely need to recharge my batteries. So this weekend, I will be taking a vacation to the finest city that this world has to offer. New Buffalo, Michigan. I knew she was going to say New Buffalo, Michigan. That is amazing. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Our intern is Stefania Gomez. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. It is also super extra awesome helpful if you leave us stars on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Dreskma for the review. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at, nerd at Podcast. We also have a pretty sweet newsletter. We put lots of links in it. Our producer, Justin, puts the best links in. I'm going to put in a link for these homemade Fig Newtons. Just in case you want a really weird project to do this weekend, you can sign up for our newsletter at wbez.org slash nerdette. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Power up.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO.